Open your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Continuing our series on how to study the Bible, and we have been looking at studying the Bible by its divisions. Studying the Bible by its divisions. Our passage that we've been looking at is 2 Timothy 2.15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, rightly dividing the word of truth. And so we've been looking at the different divisions. Of course, the most fundamental division is the division between Old Testament and New Testament. We looked at last week at how, how the book of Acts is a transitional book. It's a transition from the Jewish gospels to the church epistles, from the ministry of the apostle Peter, the apostle to the Jews, to the apostle Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles. It's a transition from Jerusalem where they were waiting for the, to be in, endued with power from on high, from the Holy Spirit. And it's moved to Antioch, where they're sending out missionaries, and missionaries are coming back to give a report. And as a matter of fact, from that church at Antioch, the Apostle Paul is first sent out. So the book of Acts is a transition. It's a transition from the Jewish law to the gospel of grace. And that's what we're going to look at today In order to understand the Bible, we have to understand the difference, the distinction between law and grace, between law and grace. So look at Romans chapter 6 and look at verse 11. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lusts thereof. So uh, uh, let me just put it this way, and we're going to break this down a little bit more as we go. A Christian should never say, I couldn't control myself. Because part of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Right? So if you lose control, and have, have we all done it? You know, for me, that's why I can't go to buffets, because I can't control myself. No, that's not the problem. It's the dessert table that I, where I can't control myself. And, but a Christian should never say, I couldn't control myself. Amen? A Christian should never lose control. That's what this is. Let not sin, therefore, reign. When, when something is reigning over you, it has power over you. It has control over you. All right? Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lusts thereof. What is that? Sin and in your body. Your body is full of lust. What did Jesus say? It's not that which enters into a man that defiles a man. It's that which proceeds out of him. Right? So that's what reigns in my flesh is sin, but I I do not need to yield to it. Verse 13, neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto God. My dad, uh, some of you know, was a pastor and he he would use this illustration often. I'm sure many of you have heard it. The missionary was talking to a man on the mission field and he asked him how how his walk with the Lord was going. And he said, it's like I have two dogs fighting in me. A good dog and a bad dog. And he said, which one wins? And he said, the one I feed the most. 
How many of you, that could be your testimony, honestly? Right? Because we do have sin in our bodies. Until you get your new body, you're going to have sin in this body. And that's what the Bible talks about in Romans chapter 8, that we're waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of the body. That's what the adoption of the sons of God is. Now, now we are sons of God. How many, how many saved? You know Jesus Christ is your Savior. You know you're born again. Well, then you're a son of God. You have been adopted into God's family. You're an heir and a joint heir with Christ. And that's because you're seated with Christ in heavenly places. We're going to look at that next week. But we, if you're saved, you are in Christ. If you're saved, you are in Christ. But your body is not in Christ. Your spirit is in Christ. Your body is just as sinful as it was the day you were born again. And that's something that's very difficult for Christians to understand. And that's why we're going to take a whole service on that next week so that you can get it. But the simple fact is that you do not have to yield to the sin that's in your body. You do not have to yield. As a matter of fact, that's what the text says. Verse 13, neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead. Remember Ephesians 2, and ye hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. He's made you alive. So, but yield yourselves, middle of verse 13, unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Now, verse 14, this is our text today. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under law, under the law, but under grace. I want you to see something really cool right here. So, in verse 12, it says, let not, right? It's a command. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Don't let that happen. You're not an animal. Amen? Young people, you're not animals. You know, we have a culture that expects young people to behave in a bad way. They expect it. Parents want their kids to go off to college and get drunk and and live like animals because that's what's expected. That's the rite of passage. It's like, I don't remember the word, but the Amish, the young people will leave the Amish community, go out and live in the world and and enjoy all the debauchery of the world and then make a choice. Am I going to live in that world or am I going to live in the Amish world? Well, we don't have that kind of a distinction. We don't have that kind of a lifestyle. Young people, you're not animals. Just honor the Lord. If you go to college, honor the Lord in college. Right? And let me just, let me just, can I just encourage you parents? So Jacob went to college and we paid for some of it. He paid for most of it. But I can promise you this. If he wanted to party, I wasn't going to pay for that. If he wanted to do drugs, I wasn't going to pay for that. If you wanted to live like an animal, I'm not paying for that. Right? Wouldn't that be immoral for me to do that? I'm amazed at how many Christians lose their minds when their kids go to college. That was for free. I didn't char- that was not part of my sermon. That was for free. So, <laughs> so, neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin... But yield yourselves unto God. And I love this contrast. Back in verse 14, for sin shall not have dominion. That's not a command to you. That's a command about you. How good is that? Sin is not going to reign in you. If you're saved, sin is not going to reign in you. Now, the simple fact is, the Bible says there's a sin that's unto death. 
If you're saved, genuinely born again, and you live a life that brings reproach to God, he might take you out of it. Pastor, that doesn't sound like grace. That's because you don't understand grace. He loves you so much, he'll only allow you to go so far. How many of you, that's kind of a new concept for you, that idea? God is serious. He is serious. When the Bible says there is a sin that is unto death, or there's a sin that is not unto death, it's a serious deal. But the Bible says that sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not, look at these words, under the law, but under grace. Let's look at this. See if I can figure out how to get this off of my screen here. All right, law versus grace. The law demands righteousness without giving you any power to produce it. Now, one of the commentaries that I was reading, it was saying that for the Romans, this, for, and this is addressed to the Romans, this, this epistle, this letter from the Apostle Paul. It's by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And this, this writer believed that for the, for the Romans, that he was talking about Roman law. That's not the case. Roman law would certainly have dominion over them. As a matter of fact, when they beat the Apostle Paul, he said, beat you Roman Roman citizens? He claimed his right as a Roman citizen under Roman law. He demanded to speak to Caesar. That was his right under Roman law. And then he says to submit yourselves to the to the authorities, the governmental authorities that are over you. Whatever, I don't know where this, this commentator got the idea that Paul was telling people that, that they don't need to submit to Roman law. That's the farthest thing from Paul's teaching. Amen? This is dealing with the law of the Old Testament, the Jewish law. And what the law does, and I've got this on the screen for you, is it demands righteousness without giving you any power to produce it. Understand that when God gave the the Jewish nation the law, I mean, read it in the book of Exodus. Read through that law. It's not just Ten Commandments. It's chapter after chapter after chapter of unbelievable detail, rules and regulations, requirements for everything under the sun. And then God said, ask the Jews for a response. And you know what they said? We will keep it. We will do it. Do you know what they should have said? They should have fallen on their faces before a righteous and holy God and said, Oh God, have mercy. We cannot do this. It is too much for us. But in their arrogance, they said, We've got this. We've got this. And what the law does is the law demands righteousness without giving you any power to produce it. That's what the law does. It requires you to do something that you cannot do. Jacob was two or three and can't remember how old he was, and told him to get in his high chair. It's time to eat. Get in your high chair. But I had left the tray on it, and I forgot. And so Jacob's trying to climb into his high chair, and he couldn't get around the tray. This is, just in case you're wondering, this is what it means to provoke your children to wrath. Get in the high chair. And he tried, and he said, I can't do it. Jacob, obey me. Get in the high chair. I promise I did this. Isn't this horrible? And he's trying to climb up, and he's hitting his head on the high chair. He couldn't get, get in the high chair. 
I can't do it. And I said, I'm just kidding. And I took it off. What did I do? I required him to do something that he had no capacity to do. Now, how many of you believe that that's wrong? Yeah. Yeah. That's the way I felt in math class. They told me to do something that I have no capacity to do, Matt Hickman. I can't do math. That's what the law is. There's no possible way anyone can keep the law because if you violate one point, you're guilty of all of it. You can't keep it. The law demands righteousness without giving you any power to produce it. There was no indwelling Holy Spirit to help you keep the law. What about grace? Grace not only gives you righteousness at salvation, it also gives you the power to live righteously after salvation. That's what grace does. So let's look at what the Bible says about the law. So the book of Romans is the great doctrinal treatise to the churches. If you want to know what are we supposed to believe as a church, the foundation for all of that is the book of Romans. That's the doctrinal foundation for all that churches are to do. So first, Romans teaches us the doctrinal basis of our faith, and then Paul gives us the language of the New Testament faith. So when we make our doctrinal formulations, almost all of them go back to the book of Romans. That's the language of the New Testament church is the book of Romans. It doesn't matter what what Pastor Jim says. I'm not the doctrinal foundation of Grace Baptist Church. Okay, I'm going to start over. I am not the doctrinal foundation of Grace Baptist Church. Amen. Amen. The Word of God is, and fundamental to all of that, is the book of Romans. Paul gives us the language of the New Testament faith. And so the book of Romans is this great doctrinal treatise. This is from John Phillips. He said, The skeptic Renan is credited with the statement that when Phoebe sailed sailed away from Corinth, she, quote, carried beneath the folds of her robe the whole future of Christian theology, unquote. He was right. You know, there are people that say that, you know, Jesus never claimed to be God, that that it was the writings of the Apostle Paul where we learned that Jesus was God. How many of you have seen a skeptic say that? Well, he, what did Jesus say? Show us the Father. Have I been with you so long as so you don't know? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus Christ claimed to be God all through the Gospels, but the great doctrinal declaration of that is found in the writings of the Apostle Paul. So it's vital that we understand that the the future of Christian theology was written by the Apostle Paul because the Bible says that God revealed to him the mystery of the church. So, our text today. Romans 6:14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law but are under grace. Have you been under the weight of something before? You've been carrying something that was just too heavy for you and and you fall. And it seems like you can carry it for a little while. I remember when I, you know, was young, working out with weights, was working out by myself, and I I put too much on the bar. And so I got it up once, got it up twice, third time I couldn't get it back up to to the rest. I was stuck. What do you do? And I know that you're supposed to just kind of dump it off yourself. I was afraid to do that. And so I was under this weight. I didn't know what to do. So you know what I did? I rolled it down me until I could sit up. The next morning, I had stripes of bruises (laughs) all, all across me. And hey, listen, 
that it was probably 50 pounds. That's a lot of weight for somebody my size, you know what I mean? It was terrible. I was under that weight. I was scared to death. I didn't, has anyone else ever been in that situation? And that's why you're supposed to have a spotter, right? I'm an idiot. There are rules to these things. Well, the problem is that many of us, we're still living under the law. Again, let me ask you, how many of you know for sure Jesus Christ is your Savior? You're born again. You're not under the law. You are under grace. Praise God for that. So let's look at what Romans says about the law. First of all, it's not good news. The gospel of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that's good news. The law is not good news. Romans 3.19 says, Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith unto them who are, what are those three words? Under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Here, here's, here's, the, here's the good news of the law. You're condemned. And what are you condemned to? A Christless eternity in hell. That's the good news of the law. The law is not good news. Look at what else Romans says. That it gives the knowledge of sin. Romans 3.20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. You know, there are people that think that there are religions that teach, yes, that you've got to believe in Jesus, but you also have to do these other things in order to go to heaven. You have to get baptized. You have to go to church. You have to get married. You have to be good to your husband. You have to be good to your wife. You definitely have to give money. And you have to do all of those things in order to be saved. Um, Debbie Schmidtmeyer, her she came from a background that's like that, and she wears makeup, and so she had family members who believe she's going to hell because she's wearing makeup, because wearing not wearing makeup is one of those things you have to do so that you can go to heaven. Is that ridiculous? You see, that's a law. There's another law. If a barn needs painting, paint it. <laughs> that's a, no, no. Not Debbie. Not Debbie. That's not what I'm talking. Romans 3.20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in the sight of God. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. What does the law do? It shows us that we can't do it. We can't keep up with it. You know, um, in athletics... If you're just playing with your peers, you can think you're pretty good. Right? You know, like I would be a giant in the Philippines. Right? So if you're just playing among your peers, you, you feel really good. But one of the best thing a co- things a coach can do. So if you're coaching, I don't know, I don't know the rankings. So what so what's the what's the highest level of high school sports, Wade? What is it? No, no, I mean like double A, triple, whatever. Division one. And so, so if you're in a division three school, it's a really good thing, even if it's just a scrimmage, to play against a division one. Because you can start to see all the stuff that you need to do better. Right? The Bible says, in some are of the number, comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. So I played a lot of basketball. I was decent among my peers. And then when I would go and play against Division One 
talent, I found out that I needed to go play ping pong. Okay? Because I didn't belong on the same court as these guys. I didn't have that kind of ability. This is what the law does. When you start to think you're righteous, when you start to think you can be good enough to make it to heaven, read the law. And what it will show you is your sin. By the law is the knowledge of sin. All right, next, the law. It makes the offense abound. It shows you how bad it is. Romans 5.20, moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. What the law does is it shows me just how bad I really am. Right? Cheer up. You're a lot worse than you think you are. It's so true. When I compare myself to wickedness, you know, next to Jeffrey Epstein, I'm awesome. Well, that's not the standard. The standard is Jesus Christ. How are you doing compared to him? Or how are you doing compared to the law? You can't. So what happens is the offense gets bigger when you understand how bad it is. The law, it makes the offense abound. The law, it works wrath. What does the law do in us? Romans 4.15. Because the law worketh wrath, for where no law is, there is no transgression. So I want to live in a place where there are no speed limits. Because I want to drive as fast as I want to drive. But when that sign is put out there by the Nazis that post the signs, Justin Yo. The Nazis that enforce it, Dave Spicer, <laughs> AJ. When that, that, when that sign is put there, now, all of a sudden, there's a transgression. When the law is posted, there's a transgression. But if the sign wasn't there, I can go as fast as I want. Now, I understand there's other laws that say, you know, there's a, there's an, what, what's it called, an area speed limit or something? I don't know. Statutory. Okay. All right. See? I told you, it's his fault. (laughs) When that sign is there, you know what you're supposed to do. That's what the law is. The law shows us the transgression. And because of the law, there's wrath, the wrath of God. And then it justifies no one. Romans 3.20, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. You know, people say that people were saved in the Old Testament by keeping the law. Have you heard somebody say that? People are saved in the Old Testament by keeping the law. What does this say right here? Can we read it out loud? Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. No one is saved by the law. No one is saved by the law. Salvation is always by grace. The only way anyone ever gets to go to heaven is by grace. And as a matter of fact, you have to have the shedding of blood. That's why people died and went to paradise. They didn't get to go to heaven until after the death of Jesus Christ. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified. The law justifies no one. Law versus grace. The law, it gives knowledge of specific sin. Now, how many of you know that you're, in general, that you're a sinner? Right? So when you have that baby, by the way, Katie had her baby, Katie Finfrock. She had her baby. Charlotte, uh, what's the middle name? Charlotte Grace. Man, I saw the picture. Unbelievable. And she's an unbelievably adorable little sinner. All of us are sinners. Right? But, and we all understand that. It's the specific sins that are identified by the law. And so the law gives knowledge of specific sin. So Romans 7, 7 and 8. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. Look at what it says. 
For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence, all different kinds of sin. For without the law, sin was dead. So I, so what he's saying is, I wouldn't have known coveting was sin unless the Bible said, Thou shalt not covet. Right? And Francis Schaeffer, he wrote a book called True Spirituality. He said that he believes that the 10th commandment, that they're actually in graduating order, that you can't violate any one of the first nine commandments without first violating the 10th. Thou shalt not covet. So you wouldn't, you wouldn't dishonor God if you didn't covet God's power in your life. You wouldn't steal if you didn't covet that. You wouldn't commit adultery if you didn't covet your neighbor's wife. Covetousness is the height of it, and that's why the Apostle Paul identifies that here. The law, it gives knowledge of specific sin. Then the law, it brings forth fruit unto death. It brings forth fruit unto death. Do you remember Cain and Abel? Abel brought an excellent sacrifice, a more excellent sacrifice, the sacrifice of blood, which is the requirement that God had. What did... Uh, what did Cain bring? The fruit of his labor. And what the, what the Bible says is the law brings forth fruit unto death. Romans 7, 5. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sins which were by the law did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. You can work and work and work, labor and labor and labor, to be good, to do good, to do righteousness, do righteousness, do righteousness. And all that will produce in you is death because you cannot be righteous enough. Why? Because there's none righteous, no, not one. The law. How many of you are enjoying this so far? And there's no good news in the law. There is no good news in the law. The law, it is weak through, look at what it says, my flesh. My flesh. There's nothing wrong with the law. The law is perfect. Purifying the soul. Is that what the Bible says? Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill it. How did he fulfill it? He kept it. Romans 8, 3. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. Look, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. So he would have looked like a sinner. He would have looked like you and me. And for sin, condemned sin. In the flesh. Why did Jesus Christ have to come in the flesh? So that in the flesh, he could live a sinless life. He could keep every point of the law. And then he could die on the cross to pay for our sin as the sinless sacrifice. See, the law, it's weak through my flesh. And that's why Jesus Christ came. What about the law? What did Paul write about the law outside of the book of Romans? Well, again, it never justifies anyone. Galatians 2.16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ. Look, that we might be justified. Now, that word justified means declared righteous. It's when the judge says not guilty. That we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Okay, in the Bible, repetition is what? It's God's volume control. Have you noticed any repetition in this? You can't be justified by the law. You cannot be saved by the law. The law never justifies anyone. What about Galatians 3.11? But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident. Why? For the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. Now, I like this verse. Now, I, I like all of them. But notice what, what is taught here. It's very clear. 
but that no man is, I'm pointing at my computer like you can see it, but that no man is justified by the law. What are those next words? In the sight of God. See, what did the Apostle Paul say? As touching the law, blameless. The Apostle Paul, in the sight of men, he would have been someone that kept every bit of the law. What about in the sight of God? No. No. From a pharisaical standpoint, from a physical standpoint, how many of you know people that don't claim to be believers, but from a human standpoint, they are righteous, they're good, they're honest? How many of you know people that are like that? In our sight, they are that. What about in the sight of God? Wow. This is why the just shall live by faith. And what I love is the just don't live by their own faith. They live by the faith of the Son of God. Jesus Christ is faithful. We have faith in Him. The law, it is the strength of sin. It is the strength of sin. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty six. The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. You can't keep it. It's so strong, it reveals how strong the sin is in you. The law, its purpose is to bring people to Christ. I love this. Galatians 3.24, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to do what? To bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. That we might be justified by faith. We've all had jobs we can't do. We've all been brought to a place where we, can, we don't know how to do it, and we go to the teacher, we go to the instructor, we go to the expert to, for them to try and help us to know what to do. When you understand how serious the law is, you're going to come to the point where you realize, I cannot keep it. Please, Christ, save me. I'm helpless. I'm hopeless. The, por- the purpose of the law is to bring people to Christ so the law, Christ came to be under the law so he could redeem all of us who could not keep it. How many of you will admit you can't keep it, right? You'll admit it. That's who Christ came for. You know, there are all different doctrines. Some people teach that Jesus only died for the people that he would save. Let's see, if the, let's see what the Bible says here. Galatians 4.24, But when the fullness of the time was come... God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made, what does it say? To redeem them. That's to, that's to purchase. That's to buy back. To redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. How did he become a son of God? He came into his own, and his own received him not, but to as many as received him, to as many as, I'll start over. To as many as, it's, it's amazing what threats do. You see the law. That's what the law works you. Okay, but to as many as, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. This adoption of sons we get because Jesus Christ came. Principle, you will never understand your Bible if you confuse law and grace. You know, there are a lot of people that are going to try and add things. You know, and how many of you believe the Bible teaches holiness? Does the Bible teach us that we're supposed to be holy? Does you becoming holy get you to heaven? You can't. You don't have any holiness. That's why the Bible talks about Christ's righteousness being imputed to us. That is, I I put on 
the righteousness of God because I don't have any of my own. I put on righteousness and true holiness, Ephesians 4. Principle, you will never understand your Bible if you confuse law and grace. We must be clear in our minds about how radical this change is. Understand that even today, people struggle. Have you, have you heard this? So you, you mention to someone how they can be born again. You explain what the Bible says about it. And here's what somebody will say to you. So do you really believe you could kill somebody and still go to heaven? Anyone ever had that question asked you? Yeah. Yeah. And if I'm being honest, I probably killed somebody on the way to that meeting because the Bible says if you hate someone, you've already killed them. And really, the roads belong to me. If you're on the road, I probably hate you. I know some of you are saying, Pastor, you shouldn't say stuff stuff like that. Well, man, I'm a sinner. I am a sinner. I need the love of Christ. I need that love of Christ to constrain me. I need this this foreign righteousness to come on me because I'm not good. Amen? And I need to not yield to that hatred that comes up in me, that sin. I need to yield to the love of Christ that he wants me to exude so I I can wave at Maureen when I drive by her instead of running her into the ditch. You see... There are still people, we must be clear in our minds about how radical this change is. How many of you know people that cannot comprehend that salvation is by grace alone? They can't comprehend it. That knowledge is too great for me. Remember what David said about the, about the law. This, the knowledge is too great for me. And that's why you have to come to God like a little child. I trust you. I don't understand it. I don't understand how this all works. I trust you. It's a radical change. Law versus grace. Law condemns, grace saves. Law condemns, grace saves. I love this. Ephesians 2, 8. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Look, not of works, lest any man should boast. Why? Because the law can't save you. Only grace can. Failure to distinguish between the law and grace has led to the physical death and eternal death of millions. You know, when, a, when a, a nation believes it has to control people spiritually and religiously, then all of a sudden starts killing people that don't agree with them. That's happened all through history. Catholic, Protestant alike. It's happened all through history. That's why you cannot impose religious beliefs on people. You can't do it scripturally. It's wrong. It is wrong. Salvation is by grace. It's a gift. You can't make someone take a gift. It's a gift. What about you? You are either under the law or under grace. Those are only two options. You're either under the law or you're under grace. Romans 6, 14, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. Who is that for? Anybody that's in Christ. If you're not in Christ, you are under the law. That's your only other option. You either place your faith and trust in Christ alone for your eternal life. What a wonderful gift. And then you're under grace. You're not under the law. Let me just say it again. This is so important. Please hear me. There is no sin. I'm I'm born again. I placed my faith and trust in Christ alone for my eternal life. And Jesus Christ saved me. I, I, I have passed from death unto life. That's what Jesus said. I'm no longer. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? I have peace with God through my Lord Jesus Christ. Let me say this out loud. I'm going to say it out loud. It's going to freak some of you legalists out. 
Okay? There's no sin I could commit that would stop me from going to heaven. Nothing. Nothing. Oh, should I sin then that grace may abound? What's the, what are the, the exact words of the Bible? God forbid. But the simple fact is, there is no sin that I could commit that would keep me out of heaven. You know, when you have a loved one die who has made a profession of faith, we don't know whether or not that profession was real. The Bible says that wherein you stand unless you have believed in vain. If you didn't really believe it, then it's vain. It's, it's empty. It's not real. But don't be looking. Listen, so important. If somebody gets saved, you have no idea what God has done in their life. Trust the grace of God. Trust the grace of God. Okay, so let's make this very clear. Does that mean we want these young people to sin and go out and live wicked lives? Is that what we believe? Let's use those two words, you know, should should, should sin abound? God forbid. God forbid. Why? Because if you're saved, God's going to chasten you. And the Bible calls that grievous, not general grievous. That's something different. It's grievous. That's what God calls it. That's really bad. That is, I don't know if your dad ever whipped you, but when God whips you, it's bad. You won't like it. If you're saved, listen, if you are genuinely saved, it will happen. Can, can you testify? How many of you have experienced that whipping? Would you raise your hand? You've experienced it. Is it fun? No. But did you come out of it knowing that God loved you? Absolutely. The Bible says that when we don't spank our children, that we treat them like bastards. We treat them as an illegitimate child. We treat them as a, as a child that we never wanted. God wants us. He loves us. He saved us. Don't sin. But when you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? Man, that just, it's just, it's so good. Don't be under sin. And be under, don't be under the law. Be under grace. Then how do I get out from under the law? By grace. That means receiving salvation as you would receive a gift. And you can't work for a gift. You can only receive it or reject it. Okay, who's, who's going to do it this time? All right, Anderson, come on up here. He's looking at me like, I knew it was going to be me. Okay, come on up. Is that a cool pen? I want to make that a gift to you. Now, in order to keep it, you've got to wash my car every week for the next 10 years. Why'd you give it back? Because it's not a gift. Because it's not a gift if you have to work for it. Thank you, Anderson. How many of you can follow that truth right there? If you have to work for it, it's not a gift. There are so many people in so many different religions that say, yes, I believe in Jesus. I do believe that I receive that salvation by grace, but I also believe I have to work until I die or I'm going to lose it. That is not a gift. That's the law. And you are either under grace or you're under the law. The word grace, as a matter of fact, it means gift. That's what it means. You can't work for a gift. You can only receive it or reject it. Will you receive it today? I don't know if there's anybody here that has never received that gift and trusted Christ alone for their eternal life. Believing that Jesus is God, believing in his death, burial, and resurrection, 
believing that he died for your sin. If you were the only person in the world, Jesus would have died for you. And that your only way to have eternal life is to receive that gift of eternal life and to have that sacrifice applied to your account. You know, I remember Laura asked a lady years ago, when did you get saved? And she said, I think I've always believed. That's not salvation. Salvation is an exchange. It takes place at a moment in time where you have passed from death unto life. You are born into Satan's family. Jesus said, you have your father, the devil, and you're born again into God's family. That being born again happens at a moment in time, a moment in time, a moment in time, where you place your faith and trust in Christ alone for his eternal life. Have you done that? If you have not, let today be that day because you are under the law. It doesn't matter how good you are. And I'll bet you're pretty good. Compared to me, I'll bet you're pretty good. You didn't want to kill anybody on the way to church today. I'll bet you're pretty good. Compared to God, compared to that law, we're all bad. Amen? Trust Christ. Trust Christ as your Savior. Rest in Him. And then how many of you, you know Jesus is your Savior. You know. Get out from under the law. Get rid of that guilt that is weighing you down, the guilt of your past, because it's all gone. If you went to God and said, God, you remember what I did, you know what he'd say to you? I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know. That's gone. Why? Because he cast your sin as far as the east is from the west, and he remembers it no more. You see, one of the differences between you and God is he can choose to forget. He does not know. Why? Because when he looks at you, he sees the righteousness of his precious son, Jesus Christ. If you're saved, get out from under that guilt. That guilt doesn't come from God. It comes from you. Live in the freedom, the grace, the joy, the liberty that we have in Christ. Amen? Only use not that liberty as an occasion to the flesh. But by love, serve one another. So what does that mean? If I'm under grace, that means I'm free to serve. I'm free to love. I'm free to invest. I'm free to win people to Christ. Amen? Let's all stand together. God, you're so good to us. We don't deserve anything. Lord, thank you so much for your salvation that is offered. And Father, I'm so thankful that at 15 years old, I I received that.